Hey everyone, this is author Jeff Strand, and I cannot wait to see you at Horror on Main. Remember, attendance is mandatory. Don't make me hunt you down. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment. From idea to product, there are many people behind the scenes, and we're bringing them to you, as well as contests, movies, panels, podcasters, and much, much more. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See HorrorOnMain.com for details. Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I am your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined by my friend, Brennan LaFaro. Say hello, Brennan. Hello, everybody. Today, Eric could not join us, but she will be with us on ne- the next episode. We are covering oh, it's bent. American Cannibal, an anthology about, well, cannibals. And uh, it's edited by Rebecca Rowling. Uh, anyone please correct me if that's not how you say her. Last name. It's forwarded by Rat James White, and we are joined by a few of the contributors. Candace Nola, say hello, Candace. Hello, hello. And Jeff Strand, say hello, Jeff. Hello. Evie Knight, say hello. Hello. And Ronald Malfi, say hello, Ronald. Hello, Ronald. Somebody <laughs> had to do it. <laughs> Brennan, would you do us the honor of? diving into the next section so with the exception of miss nola who has joined us on multiple occasions uh we are honored to be joined by jeff evie and ronald for the first time we've never had any of you on before so i'd love to go around real quick and just do a quick little introduction uh candace is a pro so i'm going to throw it to her first she can do the first introduction why you just said the exception Yes, but right. you're a panelist um, today, so you get the panelist questions. And Candace Nola. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to know? I, I am an author. I run the Uncomfortably Dark website, and I was lucky enough to be a part of the amazing American Cannibal Anthology, uh, which contains my weird little story. <laughs> Here I am. Welcome, Candace. Jeff, how about you? I'm Jeff Strand. I've written about 50 books. I'm mostly known for mixing humor and horror, and I'm in American Cannibal with my story, Y2K Feast. Evie Knight. Hey, so I too am an author. I have written a couple novels and some novellas, and then I have a story in this amazing anthology i'm so lucky to be a part of um called the flanagan cure and ronald yep i am ronald malfi i'm a novelist i've written about 20 books about the same number of uh novellas and i've got a story in this anthology called go at throttle up perfect thank you um so let's dive right into the anthology and patrick mentioned that it is forwarded by rath james white he wrote this lovely introduction lovely might not be the right word but he wrote this phenomenal introduction that talks about how cannibalism how it fits into horror the taboos and its wrath so he wrote about the sexual nature of it and 
every angle you could cover. Uh, what I'm curious about is what are your opinions about how this fits into horror and why it's such an intriguing topic to write about? Uh, Evie Knight, can we go to you first? Well, I think it. it I, I think from from just a general standpoint, the the cannibalism is such is such the like the the last taboo, right? It's it's there's been throughout time all kinds of taboos that eventually just become a thing and and we get over ourselves and and then it's okay but uh, cannibalism is probably something that i well, i hope um will never become a thing and it's always sort of been that oh my gosh you know serial killers are these horrible things and we're so fascinated by them but the ones that sort of elevate above the the group are the ones that also consume the flesh of their victims, right? Those are the ones that we know and we talk about and we're like really um, skeezy about. So I think that, um, you know, it, it, why wouldn't it be in horror? Like, why wouldn't it be a subject of horror? So uh, it's it's such a great, fun psychology to dive into. Yeah, that's that's such a good point. The idea that this is not something, well, hopefully, that we're going right. to look at in 50 years' time and say, oh, right. remember when we were all against cannibalism? What were we oh, thinking? We're so weird. We've, we've <laughs> really grown evolutionarily. Like, we're so cool with it now. Absolutely. Ron, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, just like Evie said, uh, I mean, this is... I guess the ultimate taboo. I think horror, you know, horror mines from uh, a great many areas, and I think that the, the interesting thing with with something like this is, um, you know, every time I not, not that I read a lot or watch a lot of cannibal movies or read a lot of cannibal stories, um, uh, but the, the few that I've seen always seem to present it in such a, a kind of very avant-garde or artistic light night and the, the names of some of these movies are slipping through my head at this time but i, I know they're done kind of very highbrow for some reason and there's and, and i look at these um these, these things as like uh almost an element of uh loftiness in 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 horror in the eating of other people it always seems to be presented that way there's very few you know i'm sure there's movies and books about cannibals like eating people like in the desert you know or or, or you know stuff like that but the ones that seem to come out really take sort of this really interesting artistic highbrow approach to these stories. Again, I, we're probably all thinking of the same movies as I'm saying this. I, I can't think of any of the titles. Jeff may know them, I think, but some some of these, I, you know. But I'm always impressed uh, by. I think there was a movie called Was It Raw that came out a few years ago. They're just very character driven uh, psychological stories that just happen to have that cannibalistic bend to it so i'm always i'm always interested in how the how you can take a horror trope and portray it depending on who the writer is or how they want to tell a story portray it in a variety of of ways it could be comedic it could be horrific it could be beautiful uh it could be devastating and this one seems to you know really for something as taboo as evie said you know it all it seems to often take a highbrow approach so I find that fascinating. I probably just totally went off the rails with what the answer to the question was, but that's what I've got. <laughs> we, we like that here. Yeah. I think you got a point too. There's um, almost an unacknowledged like classism in it. Like I think of uh, Hannibal Lecter is it, yeah. the man is classy as hell, but he also eats faces. Um, and then there is, you know, a subsection of this type of literature, uh, literature, movies, whatever, where it is, 
people living in the desert. It is your kind of implied Texas Chainsaw Massacre, your hills have eyes, or even your remote desert island. Um, and maybe I'm missing a, a huge subset of the genre, but it does. It almost seems like there is no middle ground. You're you're classy, or you're uh, you know living in a shack. Um, interesting take on it. Jeff, how yeah, about there's you? No, there's no drive-through cannibalism restaurants. <laughs> I think they're either you're hunting for your food or you go to a fine dining establishment. <laughs> yeah, again, 50 years from now, we don't know. But real quick, just uh, back on uh, Ron, Ron, is it you want us to call you Ron or Ronald? That doesn't matter. You can call me Ron. Okay, Ron's uh, Ron brought up a film, Raw, just uh, a 2016 French-Belgian movie. I actually haven't heard of this before. And on the poster, it says uh, for the subtext it says what are you hungry for so um yeah it looks pretty pretty neat i think one of the movies i was thinking of as i'm saying this is it is there a movie called fresh is that what i'm thinking of it's it's uh, got a cannibalistic uh vibe to it but it's all like i think people like selling people meat to the highest bidder or something like that yeah but there's a lot of stuff like that i just think you know i find it interesting that we go we go that way with it <laughs> Yeah, fresh twenty twenty two. Is that cover is kind of like a groovy? Yes, it's like yeah, it's yeah, got yeah, like yeah. a Tarantino vibe to it. Yep. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and not interrupt Ron this time. And uh, Jeff, now I will officially throw it to you. Yeah, I've written a few cannibalism stories, and they're all dark comedies, and I enjoy cannibalism from the standpoint that it is it's as far as you can go and still be fun i think there are other subject matter that goes further is more disturbing but i think cannibalism is as disturbing disturbing as you can get and still successfully present it as a comedy you know my story y2k feast is you know it's about a guy who thinks that you know the world is going to end at y2k and this is going to be his opportunity to finally try human flesh in a situation where it's necessary. And so, you know, I purposely tried to avoid cannibalism because I will write, you know, cannibalism story after cannibalism story because I think it works really well. And I've managed to find a bunch of different funny angles at the subject matter. But I think it, for me, it's just because it is as far as you can go without going to the point where people don't want to read it. So I think it works really well from a dark comedy perspective. That's excellent. Yeah. Um, it just reminded me of something I want to talk about a little bit later. So I'm making a note here. Candace, same question. Same question. I don't remember what the question was. Actually, It's been but... a while. The question was, <laughs> uh, why, you know, the, the obvious one is how, how does cannibalism fit into horror? But, you know, on yeah. top of that, you know, why is it so intriguing to read about or write about? Um, I think this kind of goes in line with what everyone else already said, but it's because one, it's something we're not supposed to do. <laughs> you don't need each other. Um, and I also think that there are a lot of us that like to play with the whole, but what if you had to? And how does it fit into horror? Well, it goes in line with, well, we're not supposed to do it. You're not supposed to kill somebody and eat them. And even if they're already passed away and you eat them, it's still kind of like taboo and you're not supposed to do that. And what's wrong with you? 
And I think in the world that we like to write in, there is a lot we can do with that trope. I per I personally like to go with the what if you had to? Like what if it came down to you or the person who was already dead or about to be dead? Do you die? just to stick with that rule of, oh, we're not supposed to do that, that's forbidden, or do you save yourself? What do you do? And that's kind of the approach that I used in the story that I wrote for the book, so. Mm. Yeah, that, yeah, and you know what? That answer doesn't surprise me at all. You know, having read Bishop, having read, uh, having started um, The Breach, survival is a big theme in your work so it doesn't surprise me at all that that would be kind of your interesting aspect to explore through you know yeah. this subgenre um patrick i'm gonna throw it to you so that i'm not just talking all day you are muted <laughs> my bad yeah, i talked to rebecca earlier to uh just kind of see if she had anything to relay and she uh, she talked about it's super short, but uh, how she came how she came up with the idea for can American Cannibal. She said she uh, after many hours of drinking at AuthorCon last year, lots and lots of vodka, and then uh, she recruited the Dream Team. That's about how how it all came about. But uh, she also wanted to share that um, she's a fan of every one of the contributors, all twenty writers. She has uh, books from all of them on her shelf. In most cases, more than one title. She selected the writers because each one is a master of his, her, their subgenre. Satirical, feminist, psychological, literary, transgressive, splatter, the whole range. Uh, the anthology, she said, is getting great reviews. And um, she believes that the big contributing factor is that everyone brought their A-game and together they made the collection of powerhouse. And uh, she said, I can take credit for recruiting them, for compiling these stories, and for going nine rounds weekly with Amazon, who fought uh, her on selling the dust jacket hardcover from another printer for months. But the talent, the meat of American Cannibal is all theirs. Um, I would like it, and I know it's, it's probably going to be a short response, but I would like it if you guys could like kind of tease us about what your stories are. Um, Evie, I want to start with you because you're <laughs> this isn't exclusive to your story, but it was gross in such a weird way that I would never think about. And um, I mean, I gotta imagine it has to do with experience you've had, not not with doing that, but like in your field. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you it's tricky because if you don't want to spoil it, that's fine. Totally understandable. But like, what what were the pieces that culminated to to go like, oh, that's gonna happen. The drinking of that will happen. <laughs> Take it away any way you want. Okay, so this the idea for this story actually came up <laughs> about I was in New Orleans with my friend. It was her birthday. So we were also there. See, I, I don't know. Maybe alcohol is behind a lot of, of these stories. Like the whole anthology starts with a lot of booze. So yeah, we were, we were drinking a lot, you know, and um, just 
I was at first, I was just trying to think of what era I wanted to do. And then, um, and then of course it made sense that I would choose prohibition and alcohol. And then really just kind of trying to think about, um, and it's probably because I work in the medical field that that I started thinking about alcohol as also a preservative. Like you get, you know, the old fashioned sayings, oh, I got pickled. Um, I got, <laughs> um, and then, you know, thinking about all of the, of the medical specimens in jars and, you know, we didn't always have formaldehyde. So what, what did we use was alcohol. And, and so, you know, how, if you took alcohol away, so, you know, how, how bad, could you make it like how desperate, you know, and then people do desperate things, addicts, you know, recovering addicts, especially, or ones who just can't get their fix. I mean, it becomes a desperation and how, how, so kind of on Candace's, you know, um, idea of how, how far would you go to, to save yourself um, or feel like you were saving yourself. And so if you were in the medical field, you are surrounded by alcohol, even when it's prohibited in other ways. So uh, that's kind of where that whole thing started coming from. And it had a big vibe of trading to me of trading one addiction for another. And I wonder if that was something you consciously put in there. Well, yeah. And I, I think that's, that's, again, that's, that's what a lot of times we do, right. Even, even now when we're, when we treat um, addiction, you know, people who, who are trying to quit smoking, right. They start, they, they tend to gain weight because they, they trade one addiction for another. They, they have to have that oral fixation. So um drug addicts, same thing. We, we treat them with a different drug that then becomes, has street value now and is becoming a thing. So um, yeah, I, it's so easy if you have this addiction or you have an addictive personality to trade one for the other. And so it just seemed like um, playing with the psychology of that, why it's okay to, to not be addicted to this, but it's okay to trade that, you know, I, I've, I've healed myself, I've cured myself because now I'm just doing this. Um, and I thought that was kind of a fun psychological uh, thing to play around with. I like how um, even it's like everyone, if you're, if you have an experience addiction in one form or another, whatever it is, there's so many options, you know, someone that you love that has. And um, I like how, at least what I've seen like in the last few years that the way that us writers are handling that isn't for the purpose of uh, a joke or hyperbole with the bad guy. It's handled with, especially in this story, it's handled with um, some powerful, what's the best way to put this? Some, some powerful um, observations on the human condition and the human hearts. Um, I, I quit drinking, so like I, it's not like a trigger for me, but like I, I, I'm just saying personally, I appreciated it, and I thought you did a good job. It, it was, it's, it's real easy to walk that line and to just like get silly with it. Not that your writing is silly, but no, sorry, you just, I just wanted to point that out. Uh, it, it was really good, and that jar scene was super <laughs> creepy. Thank you. Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> Brian. So one thing that we should uh, we should point out for anybody who is, you know, doesn't know a ton about this anthology is that it's not just about cannibalism, but it kind of takes the idea of cannibalism throughout American history. So everybody on this panel and all the stories in the book all 
have a setting in United States history in time. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll definitely dive into why that setting and stuff. No, Evie, you kind of covered why you picked that period of time. I'm curious, and I'm not asking you to talk more than you want to about your day job, but how much of writing uh, a medical story in the 1920s was stuff that you kind of picked up through learn, you know, through experience versus how much uh, research? Yeah. Um, a lot of it, I think, is kind of stuff I already knew. Like, I, I'm fascinated by history of medicine. So it's something that uh, as I trained in medicine, it was something I always went back to. I, in fact, um, considered uh, even doing a fellowship in, in, in that. Uh, for a while, um, it's something you can do and work in like the Library of Congress and stuff. And um, but it's just fascinating to me the things that we've done very confidently, um, assuming that we were doing the right thing. You know, even 50 years ago, we had women in preterm labor walking around. Well, maybe not 50 years ago. I'm like old, but <laughs> maybe maybe longer than that. But we had women walking around with uh, IVs of alcohol. We gave alcohol to stop preterm labor. And so drunk women wondering about the labor ward, um, trying to keep them pregnant by by putting alcohol in their IV. So there, there's, it's fascinating to me, the crazy stuff that we did. Um, and so a lot of it, I kind of already knew, um, but some of it was just a matter of, hey, when did formaldehyde actually start being used in bottles and jars? And um, so little fun, but it's, I can fall into that research so easily. It's so much fun. And I, I end up spending way more time than I should. But um, yeah, so it was, it was a easy choice for me, I think. Before we go to the next person, just real quick, Evie, I'm wondering if you've heard of The Butchering Art it's by Lindsay Fitzgerald. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so for those that are wondering what that is, uh, on the cover, it's a picture of the Victorian era doctors. They're just, it's crazy to think that was like, yeah, that it's was the- like two or three human li- lives ago. Right. Um, it's the butchering art. It's, it, it's about, uh, Joseph Lister's uh, his quest to transform the grisly world of Victorian medicine. So there's, I mean, we're fascinating. Yeah. We're talking about before people were people even like, um, but they were never put to sleep on anything. Right. Like that was your experience. I mean that, I mean, you had people, you had doctors going and doing like um, doing autopsies and didn't know, you know, no one knew to wash their hands. Right. So they do an autopsy and then come back and do a delivery or surgery with, you know, they just wipe their hands off, you know, on their white coats and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, like it's insane the stuff that we did and uh, called it medicine and and said we were healing people. So yeah, it's a great book. I read it. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, Brennan. (laughs) Takes away. Um, I kind of want to throw it to Ron next because I your your story really I don't know if a hit home is the right term for me, but and I'm gonna, and I'm gonna you know do a little of your job for you because it focuses around the Challenger explosion in 1986 and it not it doesn't just focus on the event itself. The event itself is almost happening in the background with the the rest of the story, the focus and you have a uh, a teacher and the reason it hit home for me is i had a science teacher in high school who was a finalist to be on that flight and he ended up uh, losing for lack of better words that spot to krista mcauliffe 
And I, I had him as a homeroom teacher for four years and a science teacher for two years. And I, he only talked about that once. And even as a 15 to 16 year old kid, you could just see how, how that lingered. And that would have been, you know, that would have been 20 years before I had him as a teacher. Um, and that just still lived in his mind and you could tell. So the idea of kind of exploring what that could kind of psychologically do to a person was very interesting to me. So I'll, I'll throw it to you. Tell us a little bit more about your story. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to start by saying Rebecca Rowland is a, is a bit of a bully because she asked me to be in this. I, I, I don't do a lot of short stories and I don't do a lot of, of themed anthologies because uh, I just, if I have an idea for something, I see where it fits and it's usually not the other way around. So what she said, well, I, what, so I finally agreed to do it. And then she goes, uh, Okay, well, the theme is cannibalism. And I said, all right, okay, here we, here's our theme. And then she goes, also, it's got to be around a historic event. And I'm like, all right, so it's like two themes? This is, you know, so she's a bully. Anyway, but no, you know, I I, I've, I've, uh, I, I was like the kid in that, in my story. I, I remember watching that um, in school when that happened. And, you know, you, you mentioned how I, I take that Challenger explosions and kind of put it a little bit in the background of this story. Um, and uh, the reason I do that is because I think that's how you know most people who are around for that recall it. That's how we all participated in it, as watching it from afar. So I wanted to do it that way. I, I've always kind of, there's always been, and I don't know if, because, if it's because I remember watching it as a kid, but there's always been a bit of a, um, a draw to that to me. Um, I wrote an entire manus novel manuscript that kind of has that as a backdrop story and never really did anything with it. But I, I find like something about that is just very magnetic to, to me. Um, so, you know, with this story, it, it was, you know, I, I, I use that and um, I, I, I had my, you know, the whole story is really about this teacher who is dealing with some personal domestic issues with her husband and um, simultaneously dealing with a kid in her class who's being bullied. And, you know, you could probably, uh, I've heard from more than one person that my, my, my contri contribution to this anthology is the, is the one cannibal story that arguably doesn't have cannibalism in it, but I'd say, you know, maybe for the uninitiated, but it's, it's there. It's just much like I put the, this, the, that kind of symbolic wall up between what's going on in my story and the, the distance that I put between that and the challenger explosion in itself, uh, the subtext I feel was very important to, to mimic with the cannibalism aspect of this story. You know, I, when, when I first started kicking around ideas for this thing, I'm like, look, I, what I can't do really is have the big twist ending be, oh, they're cannibals because everybody knows that going in. So that's out the window. So, like, so how do I tell this and what do I want to say about it? And I just started looking at, you know, the, the idea of um, the, kind of symbolic cannibalism of a an abusive domineering spouse eating away at his partner so that's sort of what the, the main storyline is about but um you know also that very literal kind of uh cannibalism where you know i have a boy bite another boy in the playground in school and you know while that i i guess arguably checks the box because he comes away chewing um there's uh the, the the big hit really is towards the end when she drops him off at home and i'm not going to give away the ending but uh you know the i wanted to uh kind of allude to there being more going on in this child's life that i don't necessarily feel the need to tell in the story but 
you know, an astute reader can kind of put two and two together and go, oh, here's really what's going on in this story. So everything I'm just kind of showing like the the tip of the iceberg stuff here on this one. And I wanted a lot of it to be unspoken. Um, so I had to kind of walk a fine line and, and dance, uh, dance the dance to, to kind of keep it vague. Um, but, you know, like I said, I, my, 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 my idea and what I've seen in, in art uh, for a lot of these cannibal stories is that sort of um, higher brow approach, uh, for lack of a better term. And although I don't think this story does that, I, I did, I wanted to try something a little bit different that I hadn't seen, which is to kind of relegate it to, you know, if it's the most taboo thing, it's also very unspoken in the story as well. And I wanted to carry that theme through it. So that's kind of where I was coming from in writing it. That's fucking smart. <laughs> you should have you should have heard what the first idea came up with was. It was awful. <laughs> can can we hear it? <laughs> uh, um, what the first idea was? Yes, it was about. So I heard about this on the news. Was, this was like based on a true story to a degree. I don't I don't know all the details, but it was like some guy who put an ad out in like the, like the want ads looking for someone to. Who, who would be willing to have this guy eat him. And that, I, I remember hearing that story. I don't know what the outcome was. I, uh, I but actually that heard yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah, so it stuck in my head. And I'm like, all right, maybe I'd maybe I go that route and kind of tell that little weird relationship and see how that goes. And But, uh, you know, when I every time I sit down to write one of these things, it's like I could tell by the first sentence if this is going to stink or if I'm going to go with it. And that one stunk because so I kind of put it aside and, and went in a different direction. That would have been funnier, though, I think. But. Yeah. Like I mentioned, the uh, I, I like the kind of psychological like investigation of it. But I, I would also say we all know or knew a kid like Michael um, when we were in elementary school, the kid who would definitely bite you. Um, and, you know, the idea of kind of exploring, well, why, though? You know, what's what what's going on behind the scenes that would that would lead to that? And uh, another uh, part of what you said that I found interesting but also like you know tr troubling is not the right word but it what it made me think of is you know rebecca gathered 20 authors and said we're writing cannibalism stories that's got to be intimidating as you know there are 19 other people who are are tackling american history through the lens of this exact subject what the hell am i going to do to make sure that mine stands out and that it doesn't you know just kind of like track down those cliches um which is you know so when we throw it to jeff and candace if you guys have anything to say on that i'd love i'd love to hear that idea you know ron you kind of said that you said all right i'm i'm gonna use cannibalism as more symbolism rather than you know uh more of a literal sense but um you know what i jeff you already talked a little bit about your story so i wonder Number one, do you have anything to add? And I, I would also say, did you know that you were going to be the closer? And did you approach it any differently because of that? No, I didn't know that the stories were going to be done in chronological order. I picked Y2K just because I thought it was a fun, you know, it. I remembered it clearly. And it was, I thought there was good story possibility because it was something that was, you know, you had years of buildup to this event, which turned out to be nothing, whether it was nothing or the years of prep actually worked. Regardless, it was something that, you know, 
oh man, we're one hour from Y2K. We're half an hour from Y2K. You know, I worked at an insurance company at the time and we had a full plan for, you know, what happens if we come in on January 1st and the computers don't work? How do we continue to provide service to the customers? So it was just this long, you know, buildup for one moment. And so I thought it would be, you know, I thought I could get a good story out of some, I'd read some articles about, you know, some people were, you know, looking forward to Y2K. It's like, you know, we rely too much on technology. This is our chance to return to simpler times. You know, we could learn actual skills instead of being on our phones all the time that maybe Y2K is not such a bad thing. So I thought it would be, you know, a good story from that perspective. And so my story, Y2K Feast is about a family who, you know, we've got the father's giving the lecture because Y2, you know, midnight is fast approaching the father's, you know, we've got plenty of food. We've got everything we need. You know, I, we're going to get through this and maybe we have to eat some human flesh, but it, it'll be okay. And the kids wait, wait, what? Why would you go straight to human flesh? Why can't we hunt deer? Well, okay, we can hunt deer, but also, you know, we be, need to be prepared to eat some human flesh. And the kid, but dad, you know, there's lots of possibilities before we get to that point. I know, I know. We're just, we're, we just want to have that in mind. And so he's one of the people who it, you know, the clock strikes 1201, nothing happens. It's like, wait a minute. That's not what was supposed to happen. So it's basically about a father holed up with his family who's very disappointed that Y2K didn't really turn out to be anything. And he had his heart set on, you know, having a excuse to try human flesh. So the story sort of goes from there. But I didn't know that I was going to be the closer. And yeah, whenever you're in a themed anthology with cannibal, you know, something like cannibalism, you don't want like Ron said, it can't be the twist ending. And they're cannibals. Yeah. You have to come up with something that, you know, if in my case, they've read 19 other cannibal stories before they got to mine. So you have to come up with something that is a twist. So I had to focus more on, you know, the characters, the story, not so much a twist on human flesh, because, you know, if it's like it's vampire cannibals, someone else may have done vampire cannibals. It's a lot of times it can be really difficult with these sort of anthologies and in this case because it wasn't a horror comedy anthology i figure well i at least have that i may be one of the only ones that goes for dark comedy but yeah it's always something that weighs on you you know i'm working on a story now for an anthology i'm i don't think they've announced it so i'm not going to say what the theme is but it's a extremely narrow theme and it's going to be really difficult to make sure i come up with something that's not like the other 19 stories because it is you know a very very narrow theme which sometimes happens and you just it is something that weighs on you it's sort of like doing the gross out contest <laughs> at bizarro con you have to make you have to make sure that you're if you're doing you know a story about whatever you have to make sure it's not it's going to be different from the other 10 people who've chosen that particular gross element so you have to focus more on characters and plot than the actual premise a lot of times I I think yours, your story, but also you as an author, I think that was the perfect choice to put in. And I know you kind of like lucked into that because nobody was writing about an event after Y2K, but it's, you've got 19 stories that are just kind of running the gamut from, oh my God, to that's awful, to that's gross, to oh my God, again. I mean, like we said, EVs is just like, ah, uh, you know. Visceral. Um, 
visceral perfect (laughs) thank you you know ron's is just surrounded by shadows and yours is a you know if you read the stories in order which of course you do because you know why else you know you're not a psycho um it's a breath of fresh air at the end um and you know it's horrible yeah but it's that perfect balance of my god this is awful and like where's this guy's head at with but I'm laughing out loud. And does that make me a bad person? Um, yes, it does. Exactly. Thank you for, for giving me that blanket answer. <laughs> and of course, uh, we start with Candace's and that was, uh, that was, that was so cool. Basically, you know, it starts with before America was established and then it ends with Y2K. So I don't know if anyone else's mind went there to where I'm about to say, but it could kind of be, you know, its own timeline. Like, you know, different dimensions that parallel our own. That's kind of how I viewed it with this anthology. Like, what if in that world, because cannibalism, I would hope, is more rampant in this anthology than a real world, but I don't know. You never know. Evie's smiling. She's like, yes, it is. (laughs) Um, I am curious about something, though. As far as having a theme for an anthology, um, this is really why I'm asking this is really directed for, you know, younger uh, people. Well, not younger people, but writers that are newer, um, just something to think about. But, and, and I'll start with Jeff on this one Um, with writing a, (laughs) with writing a uh, specific theme to make sure it stands out, not only from previous works uh, in fiction in general, but of your uh, table of content um, contributors how does in what way do you think that can contribute to you being a better writer in general um jeff i think it forces you to you know be really creative you know i'm one of 20 cannibalism stories so one you know again going back to what ron said you can't have it as a twist it's got to be you know you pick up a book called American Cannibal, you know that Y2K's, Y2K Feast is about cannibalism to some extent. So you can't just do a generic, you know, well, she picked up the hitchhiker and the hitchhiker was a cannibal. Okay, that kind of premise is gone. You have to do something with a little bit more depth, a little bit more inventiveness. So it's it's basically just a writing challenge to, you know, how what am I going to do that I know is going to be different from 19 other people when I don't know what the other 19 people are doing? So we didn't coordinate. You know, there wasn't a Zoom meeting with, you know, the 20 authors saying, okay, well, here's what I'm going to do. Okay, well, that's off the table. What are you going to do? You kind you don't really know what the other authors are doing. And so you have to, you know, really come up with your most original, most inventive idea just to make sure that, you know, people aren't saying, well, you know, Jeff's story is good, but Ron's story is pretty much the same thing. I'm not sure why they use both of those. So you <laughs> want to make sure, you know, writing kind of in a vacuum that you're coming up with a story that you don't think anyone else is going to do. So it it does challenge you and it's a good creative exercise. Did, did you guys know each other was going to be in it? Did you know, like, did you get a list of the other contributors? I knew some because she pitched me directly at AuthorCon. I was like, okay, I have these other people. You should do it too. It's like, all right, fine. So I knew I had, I don't know that I knew the full roster of contributors, but I had a good idea of who was in, but that didn't, you know, I didn't know what Candace was going to write. I didn't know what Evie was going to write. So, mm-hmm. uh, Ron, 
What about you, man? Yeah, I mean, Jeff said it. You know, the, the, going into something this focused, uh, knowing 19 other people are doing the same kind of thing, um, the, the worst case scenario is that you're treading on the same ground someone else in that book did. And it becomes boring and tedious. And I, I would rather... Um, you know, experiment with what I'm writing, even if it's not good, as long as it's different, I felt that was a better approach than, than treading familiar ground in the same book. So that's kind of how I looked at it. But I mean, Jeff said, it, you know, it's, it's, uh, it forces you to flex those writer muscles, be more creative and say, all right, look, instead of kind of phoning this in from where I, I think a story like this should go, I got to recognize that, you know, my peers are, are all coming to the, the table with stuff that's going to be in this same world. How do I, how do I make this stand out? And they're all thinking the same thing too. So I think that kind of upped everyone's game to a degree as well. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, Jeff, Jeff said it, it, it's, it's just about, you know, understanding the parameters that you can't have that be the twist. You can't, you can't, um, you got to be conscious that everybody's going to be thinking for that outside the box story, you know? Absolutely. Uh, we'll go Evie and then Candace and then Brennan, um, bring us into the next topic. So um, obviously, yeah, what, what they said. Um, but I'm thinking also as a sort of new, newer author on, on the scene, one thing that I do anytime, like not just themed, but also if I have an idea of something I want to write, um, it, it also forces me to kind of get out there and, and look for books or stories uh, on that topic as well, just to see what, what other people are writing and like what's out there, you know, because I'd, I'd love to read every single thing and watch every film, but you know, we, we all can't do it. So, it, but I think it helps you really sort of diversify your knowledge of the horror community of the other authors. Cause getting out there and sort of reading already what is out there what what can i do to make mine unique or why is this you know trope why is my story trope why does it stand out or what what do i have to tell that somebody hasn't already done and so when you get one like this i think it's it's fun too because then i really tend to get i get the idea and then i go looking for people who've written something similar and and read what everybody else has done so that I know kind of where I am on that, on that spectrum too. So I, I like it in that regard, because it really broadens my knowledge of, of our genre. Candice. Um, <clears throat> yeah, what everyone else said, obviously, but um. I don't really know that I have a lot to add to that other than about a year ago, I didn't want to write anything that had a theme at all because it intimidated me and I was like, um, okay, now I have to figure out something specific that I have to write about. And I wasn't really used to having to do that. It was just whatever popped in mind was what I wrote. But I've learned in the years since then that I like it more now because it helps narrow the field a little bit. My brain doesn't really have to go all over the place to come up with something. It can stick to just this one. But it's also a little bit of a stretch because when you're doing an anthology like everyone else, it's okay, we're all doing the same theme, so what do I do with this? And how do I know that it's going to be something unique 
to the anthology itself because we're all doing the same theme. So I think, can it make you a stronger writer? Yeah, because it makes you kind of go outside of your comfort zone and it kind of makes you really stretch whatever idea you originally had you tend to kind of stretch it as much as you can to make sure it's original it's unique and it's not going hopefully not going to be the same as what anyone else wrote so right how creative can i be within a certain set of parameters yeah yeah i like that um candace uh a certain host who will remain nameless and hairless uh forgot to throw it to you for your story so could you tell us a little bit about your story? Well, here we're in a hat, so I don't know if you got hair under there, buddy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> exactly. <my> story. <laughs> um, the Roanoke story. When I was approached about this at AuthorCon last year, this legit popped in my head the minute the question left her mouth. I've had the idea ever since. Can I just interrupt I and never... say it's not fair how quick your brain works with this shit? <laughs> I'm envious. <laughs> you know, it was it's the original story of the Roanoke event. The historical story has always been one that I've always kind of been in intrigued by, even when I was a kid. <laughs> And as soon as she approached me with this about, oh, I want it to be about about cannibalism and it has to be a historical event, that was the only word that popped in my head. And I never wavered from that. I told her right then, I'm like, I got Roanoke and she was like, fantastic. And from that moment, I knew exactly how I was going to write it, why I was going to write it that way. And, you know, I was just really thrilled with it because it was something that I had always been fascinated by. So I wrote the story from the point of view of a man from England who came over here to the new world with everyone else in hopes of, you know, having a new life and discovering something new. And here they are stranded on this little inlet right off the coast and their governor leaves, their ship leaves, their rations run out. They're left with one Indian scout that they are friendly with who has been helping them. And that is a historical fact that the um, Indian man who I used was actually from that tribe. That was his name. Um, I did a lot of research from the story, not only into the event itself, but also with regards to the language that I used. I wanted it to read like somebody from the 1500s would have been speaking. The words that they used and everything, like I wanted it to feel like, oh, you really discovered this man's journal on the island and this is what happened. And it was all written from his sole point of view as to how everything takes place. And then it comes down to survival. And there was a group of men that took it upon themselves to make that choice 
for the rest of them. Like, well, a lot of options, a lot of food. The, the tribe that's helping us is doing a little bit, but they're, it's a cold winter. They're running out of food, and we have people dying around us left and right because they're sick, they're ill, they're freezing, they're weak. What do we do? Do we all die? Do we save who we can? You know, so I kind of took it there with the whole survival thing. And of course, this one man figures out what happens and the rest just kind of unfolds throughout his journal. So. Excellent. Thank you, Candace. Sure. Um, so to my mind, if I pick up an anthology and it has Candace Nola, Jeff Strand, Evie Knight, and Ronald Melfi, it is worth the price of admission. But there's a lot of other really, really great people in here as well. And I won't read all of them, but um, there's an, a really excellent uh, Kennedy story from Brian Asman. Uh, v. Castro covers the gold rush and um, kind of combines that, you know, sex and cannibalism aspect we were talking about earlier. Owl Going Back, C.V. Hunt, Gwendolyn Keist, Clay McLeod Chapman, uh, Elizabeth Massey, Bridget Nelson has an awesome story in here. And, you know, that's like just just over half of the contributors, because like I said, there's 20. It's it's a star studded lineup. Um, now, Patrick, I have somewhere I'd like to take us away from the anthology unless you have any anywhere else you'd like to go with it. The only thing that relates to this is that. Uh... Because I was talking to Elizabeth Massey earlier this morning, she wanted everyone to say, uh, she wanted to, I can't talk. She wanted to say uh, hi to everyone, and she's sorry she can't be here. That's well, it. Well, hi, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> um, so having talk, talked about eating people for an hour, um, I, I want to send it around one more time and give you all uh, an opportunity to plug anything that you have recently released, anything that you have about to come out that you'd like people to check out. Uh, Evie, can we talk to you first? Well, um, something, so I have another anthology coming out at that, uh, that I'm in at the end of the month. I'm, I'm trying like desperately in the, to finish this novel that hopefully I will finish soon. Um, so, uh, but, so all I can plug right now are my shorts. Um, but I have a short story with Sinister Smile Press uh, in in just a girl anthology, which is kind of like badass women of horror, um, which I really uh, had a good time with because um, I got to, I wanted to try it. Like I've never, I never really dove, dove into any kind of like monster stuff. And I really was into like cryptids and, and monster stuff. And I grew up uh, in the town where they filmed Mothman prophecies, not the town that it happened. Obviously that was West Virginia, but my little town apparently looked very similar to 1960s West Virginia. So that's where they filmed it. And it was, I know it was a crappy film, but um, it was still pretty cool. So I've always like the Mothman was always a sort of a thing for me. And then, um, and just kind of playing around with gender roles and, uh, and maybe like writing a Mothman origin story. So that is uh, mine is a Mothman origin tale coming out in uh, the end of this month. I believe it's the 31st. So Excellent. Jeff, how about you? Uh, my latest book is Demonic, which is a action-packed, gory horror comedy. 
upcoming. It'll be out just a few days after this episode drops. Is I wrote the novelization of Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, yeah. which has been as stupid <laughs> as you would hope. Jeff, can you hold that up again? I'll take a screenshot of it. Sorry, I'm a little slow. <laughs> All right, <laughs> perfect. So I feel like the best novelizations come out 45 years after the original film. So. <laughs> Excellent. Jeff, that is so cool too, by the way, man. I when I saw you were doing that, I thought that was the best fucking thing. That's awesome. And and then your comment about uh you made a tweet, I think, yesterday. You said that you could uh you you would be up for doing the novelization of cocaine beer, which I saw like two weeks ago, and that was such a fun I don't get to go to the movies often. That that was a fun movie to watch, and I could see you doing that novelization and making it somehow more insane. Yep. Yeah, I would love to do a cocaine bear. I don't think <laughs> anyone is going to contact me for that, but I'm available. Oh, it's out there now. Get in touch with Elizabeth Banks. That would be cool. Uh, we don't have her contact, so I'm going to shut up. <laughs> Go ahead. Candace, upcoming or recent re- recently released? Um, upcoming stuff. I also have a short story in the Just a Girl and the with Evie, um, that is supposed to be out in time for author con, from what I know. Um, I also have a rather short story coming out in a couple of days on the Godless platform, the Unicorn ki- ki- Killer. A lot of fun with that that one. It's not meant to be scary or serious at all. It's the dark but i think in a fun way i hope i may not have nailed it but i <laughs> i think it's good um i the have covers a, awesome by the way <laughs> yeah it is um <clears throat> uh, the sequel to the where pair story is coming out next month that patrick has right behind his head back there it's um it has a nice continuation of the storyline i don't want to say much more than that i took it somewhere that i don't think a lot of people were going to be prepared for and uh, they're either going to love it or they're going to crucify me so it'll be fun to see what happens that's the best kind of story yeah um we should point out that the cover for american hannibal is by none other than lynn hansen and uh she not saying this because you're here, Jeff. She's one of the best. She's one of my favorites. Uh, and it's, yeah, it scares a care. Um, she was one of the first people I met, and I got to give her a big hug and get a picture with her and buy one of her pieces of art. She's seriously, she's so good. She that does a lot. Was the first thing to generate buzz on this anthology when people saw that it was wow. yeah. So it was it's fantastic. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty clear, but like covers sell books and sometimes they don't. And there's some really good books that have shitty covers and they don't get the attention because of that. Um I'm thinking of some self uh some some writer like on the craft of writing books that they're really, really good, but the covers just look super cheap, so you wouldn't know it. Um it's worth putting that out there, you know, for whoever's listening that might be on the fence. I I don't know. You never know who's listening. <laughs> Ron, anything you would like to promote? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, my 
most recent uh, books are uh, my, my novel Black Mouth and uh, my book Ghostwritten. They both came out last year. So if you're looking for, you know, any new writer readers looking to pick up my most recent books, that, that would be them. Uh, and then I've got a, a new book coming out uh, in July, which is a collection of five novellas. Four of them are, are reprints from the old Dark Fuse novella days. And then I added a newer uh, new novella that's never been published before uh, to that collection. So I'm excited about that. And uh, and Jeff, if you want to put me in touch with your publisher for uh, Killer Tomato, I've always wanted to do like a really dense, dark, almost Russian novel version of Weekend at Bernie's. So I am I am I'm ready to do that. That would be in Psychopocalypse. Oh yeah, like it's just so dark and dreary and like crime and punishment, but it's weekend at Bernie. <laughs> I am oh, so intrigued by I, that. I want to ask what that's about, but uh gee, no, don't talk about it. Oh my god, make that happen. <laughs> seriously, are, just, is that is that a joke? Or are you really gonna no, make I'm that serious, I want to do that? <laughs> okay, because sometimes people talk about stories and they're like, no, ah, I wouldn't write that. I, I, had, I had thought about that before. And then when I saw that Jeff was doing this, I had a conversation with a, a filmmaker buddy of mine, uh, Kevin Kangas. We were, you know, we get together periodically and have beers and talk about ridiculous stuff. And I'm like, do you see that strands put in? I said, that totally reinvigorated me on this, this dark weekend at Bernie's twist. I said, but I'm so lazy. I don't know. <laughs> but yes, it's always, I always thought that'd be funny. Patrick, uh, do you want to kind of take us to wrap up? Yeah. Would you guys mind talking about what you're currently reading? And then uh, we can we can stop bugging you with so many questions. <laughs> um, currently reading? Yeah. We'll start with you, Ron. What are you currently reading? Uh, I'm in the middle of two books. One is uh, Some Kind of Mother by uh, Clay McLeod Chapman. Uh, I think it comes out sometime this year. Uh, so I got to read that and uh, get a blurb out to him. And then I'm also doing the same for Philip Fricasi's upcoming uh, 100,000 word short story collection, which is fantastic. Both those guys are awesome. I lo love their work and it's a joy to to be able to read this stuff ahead of time. So that's what I'm into right now. Yeah, they're both, they, they both do a hell of a job. No, they're fantastic. Um, Candace, what are you currently reading? That was on me. I am reading The Massacre at Yellow Hill by C.S. C.S. Humble, which is coming out from Cemetery Dance. It's sort of a weird Western story. It's a lot of fun, so. Excellent. Sorry, I thought there was more. You, I know I know that you read a lot, so I thought there was going to be more. Uh, I didn't want to give away much, but. Okay. Um, Evie Knight, what are you currently reading? Okay, I don't know why I just said your full name. Evie, what are you currently reading? Yeah, right. okay. <laughs> uh, so, a reminder that a lot of times when I'm getting into something, I'll, I'll start like reading lots of research. So, I just finished The Killer Across the Table, uh, John E. Douglas from like the Mind Hunter uh, guy, um, just talking about the psychology of serial killers. Um, and then, fictionally, I read this one called All the Dangerous Things by Stacey Willingham. I had to look her up. Sorry, I was one. Um, about a couple uh, whose child goes missing and just uh, the horror of that. Um, so, I'm not, yeah, I'm not just like some unknown, unusual things. But yeah, that's that's what I've been reading. Awesome. Um, Jeff, what are you currently reading? 
I just started my Robert Essig baby fights <laughs> about a basically the equivalent of cockfights, but for babies. They make babies fight to the death. So <laughs> as they should. <laughs> um I feel like that's a book you would write, but that's also okay. Man, threw me off. Brennan, what are you currently reading? <laughs> Can't follow that. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everybody. <laughs> um, I, I am reading. I just started Five Decembers by James Kestrel, um, and I'm still pretty early on into it. But it's 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 wild because it's got that kind of like Raymond Carver, very bare bones prose, back and forth dialogue that just like you know only takes up like just over an inch of the left margin, but like just propels the story but it's also like 500 pages you pick up a book like this and typically it's a slim little thing um but it it does have that throwback feel to it and uh i'm enjoying it so far patrick how about you uh i just finished uh american cannibal and let's see i actually get to check my goodreads because uh i juggle a few books at one time but um, and I also you just gave finished it two stars. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, this is really a five out of five. Um, I'm currently reading Small Mercies by Dennis Lehane. Um, it's his upcoming book, and it is about uh something that Brittany and I are very familiar with. Um, the mobsters of Massachusetts in the '70s. Not that we lived during that time, but it's talked about still even today. Um, except it's all fictional characters, not Wendy Bulger and all them. And I actually just finished Shutter Island by him uh, two days ago. I never read it before, and until then, it was really, really good. Um, I like the movie, so finally read the book. Um, final thoughts? Oh, actually, where can people follow you? We'll start with uh, Evie. You look eviknightauthor.com. Uh, I've links to all my social media, and they're almost always Evie Knight author of in some variety whatever I can. So um, if you just go to evnightauthor.com, uh, the, the whole list is there. And I'm on like all of them, TikTok, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Excellent. Uh, Candice, where can people follow you? Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, um, uncomfortablytart.com. And if you want to pull up the link tree, it's just link tree um, with Candace Nola at the end, and that will give you links to all of my stuff. Excellent. Jeff, where can people follow you? JeffStrand.com. And you, Ron, where can people follow you? I'm at RonaldMalfi.com, all the social media platforms. And if you get bored with reading and want to listen to music, I also am in a rock band, and that's VeerBand.net. So I got all the plugs in. Excellent. Uh, Brendan, where can people follow you? BrendanLafaro.com has, has everything you need. You can follow me on Twitter at PR McDonough, or if you want to follow the show, uh, Dead Headspace on any platform. Um, we'll do final thoughts and then close up for the episode. So uh, final thoughts, Jeff Strand. You should purchase American Cannibal, available from all fine book retailers. Candice Nola. What Jeff just said. <laughs> <laughs> just closed it for everybody. <laughs> Evie Knight. <laughs>
Yes, what Jeff said, because I think anytime you find a really cool anthology, the best thing to do then is just go down that table contest and start looking up those authors and buying their books um, and, and finding out more about what they do. So. Yeah. Ronald Melfi. Uh, do not respond to Facebook messages from Rebecca Rowland. Brennan <laughs> 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 LaFaro. Uh what Jeff said, mostly because peer pressure at this point, but uh, no, it, it's a great anthology, a uh, lot of talented people writing killer stories. And uh, thank you to the four of you for coming on. Uh, Candace, like, like I said, has been on before Jeff, EV, Ronald. Uh, we, I, I loved having you on this time. We'd love to get you back for solo episodes. All of you next time you have something to promote, reach out and we'll make it happen. Mm-hmm. Patrick. I just echo what Brent says. We've wanted you guys on for some time now, so it's really cool that we could do that for uh, American Cannibal. Um, it's a great anthology. I mean, great anthologies are not always super easy to get. Um, this certainly does a good job. Rebecca did a very good job with curating. You guys were the meat of it, and we got to, as readers, devour it. Cannibal joke. Okay. Uh, as always, <laughs> yeah, as always, you got many. Chosen podcast. Thank you for picking up.